Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. If you love running or eating, you'll love this show. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. I'm your host, Monica Olivas, and I am really excited to catch up with you today. I took the last two weeks off. Sure, it was the holidays, but what I have been doing behind the scenes is putting together a ton of great training plans and interviews and just a ton of very helpful information about running and eating healthy and just improving ourselves overall. So I am very excited for what is happening with Run, Eat, Repeat. And I'm also really excited about this year because there's a lot happening in my life. And I will share that as I can. And like I said, I'm trying to navigate if I should start just a separate show for that. But my entire life is going to be different by the end of this year. And I'm really excited for it. Like I said, if you listen to the last podcast, I'm ending a huge relationship in my life. And I am moving this year. And I just have a lot of very exciting things with Ryan and Repeat, which is huge for my career. Starting this podcast, I feel like it is really growing and I really appreciate the support. So there's a ton of exciting stuff, both in Runny Repeat land and in Monacan land. And I appreciate you listening. Before we get into all of that, I have an awesome interview today with Dr. Jason Karp. He wrote a book called Run Your Fat Off. So we are talking about that. You don't have to run your fat off. You don't need to have a weight loss goal. But since it is the new year and a lot of people have health goals in general, you want to eat healthier or you want to take up exercise or you want to know how to maintain your body weight potentially, I am not trying to sell any sort of you need to lose weight or this is kind of the thing. If this is a trigger for you, definitely catch me on the next episode. But we're not talking about dieting specifically. We are talking about how to use running to lose weight, how to get started running if you want to use that as the exercise to lose weight and get healthier, kind of what exercises are the best for burning calories, for increasing your metabolism. Can you increase your metabolism? Things like that. I'm basically talking to him and he is my friend. So it's a pretty casual conversation. And I think it's just super interesting because there are a lot of things that we have been told by the diet industry and by different people online, magazines, books, TV, all of those things about how to lose weight or what burns more calories or what you should be eating or shouldn't be eating. And they're not necessarily true. And Jason is, I kind of joked and I called him the Google of running during our call. He knows a ton about running and he he's like a scientist. So he knows a ton about metabolism and what we should be eating and kind of the best exercises for different goals. So I am picking his brain about all of these things. It's a pretty casual conversation and I'm very excited for it. Let me know if you have any follow-up questions and I can definitely bring him on another time because there, I wanted to go all over the place with like everything I was asking him and I had to just keep it to this topic specifically. And he is very extreme on certain things because he is like a no BS, very direct kind of person. But when it comes to initially taking up running, um, I think it's very reasonable stuff. And I really agreed with 
like everything he was saying on a lot of the topics of weight loss and how to get started and just finding something that you can do long term that is so, so important, whether it is exercise or what you're eating, it has to be sustainable. So there is a ton of very helpful information in the interview coming up. But first, let's warm up. For today's warm up, I wanted to talk about my New Year's resolutions. I am a huge New Year's resolution person. I really love them. And it's kind of funny because I am not normally a type A person. I don't constantly need to set goals. And I don't know, like I'm pretty cash day to day. But when it comes to New Year's, a new month, sometimes the beginning of a week. I used to do for a long time Monday mini goals where I would set a small goal at the beginning of the week. I love small stuff like this because I feel like it's doable. And I, for the most part, set fairly realistic goals for myself that are important to me. I won't just randomly pick a goal that I don't super care about. Yeah, I do not always keep my New Year's resolutions, but I think overall it makes me better. It helps me improve myself, whatever aspect that is. If it is something like an exercise that I want to work on or I want to get fluent in Spanish, I'll learn more. Maybe I won't end up fluent, but I've learned more or I've exercised more or I've ate a little healthier. I am very big on setting a smart goal, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time sensitive. I think those are it. I did uh, how to set smart goals with running in a previous podcast episode. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. But if you're not sure how to set a smart goal for the year, and it doesn't have to be right now, down the road, check that out. And you can always too just set a goal. It doesn't have to be a New Year's resolution. It doesn't have to have that label. If you want to improve or change something in your life, and it, again, doesn't also have to be about fitness or health, just whatever it is, you can just call it a goal and just make it realistic and hold yourself accountable, right? That said, I am also not pushing. I don't push anything. I just like am also very loud and enthusiastic about the things that I like. And I am very loud and enthusiastic about New Year's resolutions but I don't think other people have to set them. I'm not worried about other people's New Year's resolutions. And I don't feel like anyone cares if I have a New Year's resolution because that would be weird, right? I want to share mine because I get excited about it. And here we go. So my first New Year's resolution, I think is super funny because there is this vibe out in the world right now that New Year's resolutions are kind of bad, right? Like, self-acceptance is cool. And we often think about New Year's resolutions as being something that is a superficial sometimes goal. If you're just talking about, I don't know, just losing weight or cutting out sugar or, you know, something that is just not necessarily a big picture making you healthier, better, happier, X, Y, Z. And I agree that self-acceptance is extremely important. I think given that I am lazy and a mess most of the time, I need, I self-accept a little too much. And I have like a pile of mail and everything's a mess. And my car has a ton of popcorn and blueberries under the driver's seat. 
And there's a lot of things like that that I'm like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? So again, when there is an opportunity like the beginning of the year or the month, I think it is good for me at least to set a goal. And my number one goal seems extremely superficial and it kind of is, but my first New Year's resolution is to get ready every day to basically dress and do my hair and makeup enough so that I am comfortable doing a video. I I said on the blog, I'm running into an ex, not being embarrassed basically, because I have been self-accepting to a fault where sometimes I am in a store and I'll catch a reflection of myself and I'm like, what in the hell? Monica Olivas, can you get it together? Like, what what just happened to you? And it just, I need to make a little bit more of an effort because I am worth making an effort for. And it makes me feel better. It makes me feel more professional and responsible. And when I am doing um, calls or interviews, I, it's, it's important. Like if I'm working from home, it's still important to be very professional and not getting ready also really hinders me interacting with people. Because if a friend is like, and this has happened actually, where a friend said they were going to a store near my house and he was like, oh, I'm gonna stop by after. And I was like, nope, because I just looked so tragic. I didn't want someone to come over because I was a mess. And that's super not cool because I need a damn friend. Maybe that should be one of my New Year's resolutions. Make a damn friend. The point is, my first resolution is to get ready every day at some bare minimum level where I am dressed decently and have done something with my hair and eyebrows. Done. My second resolution is to use a running log every day for 90 days. And so I guess that's not even a whole year's resolution, but this is a big thing that I'm going to start right now. I originally started run, eat, repeat as a diary for my running. And because running repeat now is so big, I sometimes struggle with, I don't want to just update a random, like this is the run I did today and a blurry picture of my watch that I took or something else. Like I used to put a lot of crap basically on the blog because it was just supposed to be my running log online. And isn't that what blog is? Blog. It's like a web log, right? Is that what it originally, I'm pretty sure that's what it originally stood for. Anyway. um, And so I want to start doing that every day again, because it is super helpful for me to see if what I'm eating or the rest that I'm getting or the cross training that I'm doing, including strength training, how it is helping or hurting my running. I think it'll be very insightful for me to use to improve my running, which I really want to do. So my first step is admitting I have a problem, right? My name is Monica and I'm a mess. Hi, Monica. And now I want to keep a running log so that I can be accountable a, if I'm slacking off on running or if I'm skipping strength training or stretching or I ate like crap the day before and I have a bad run, I can be like, hey, B, this is why that happened. Don't make excuses. So it'll keep me more honest and more accountable. And it is a good habit to get into. I'm going to keep it on a notebook. I have a um, a little system that I'm going to use, but I'm also going to share that every day on social media on some level. So I might not do a blog post every day, which is kind of ironically what got me away from it. 
I just thought, oh, like, I don't want to just put up a random crappy update on the blog every day because people are expecting more at this point. They want helpful information um, or something funny, right? Um, Or personal stuff or pictures of Vegas, whatever it is. I thought this isn't quote unquote good enough to put on the blog, but I think it's fair to put up on Facebook or Instagram. So definitely make sure that you're following me there. I'll put links in the show notes, but I'm going to keep a running log for the first 90 days of the year. And then from there, this is also huge. Then I will be able to tell, looking back on that log, where I really am fitness-wise. Oftentimes I'll use a race to assess where I am fitness-wise, and I could have an amazing day or a bad day. So that's not completely fair. It'll give me a bigger picture. And from there, I can set some smart goals. Once I know where I am fitness-wise with running, I can set a fitness goal for the rest of the year. And my third, big three, resolution is to set a monthly mini goal. And it could be anything. It could be about, you know, running or eating healthier or not cussing. That is something I want to do. I have like these small kind of goals that I want to work on as well. Organizing. I'm sure when I start getting closer to moving, there's going to be goals that I'm going to need to accomplish for that, that are going to dominate my life for a while. So I don't want to set anything else really huge, but I do want to make a monthly mini goal that's going to help me in some way, whether it be health-wise or relationships with the people I love-wise, you know, being more social or just something different like that. I am going to set those goals as well. But that's it. Those are my New Year's resolutions. We will see how it goes. I will update you periodically. And yeah, let's go. Today, I am talking with Dr. Jason Karp, who is the author of Run Your Fat Off. And he has a PhD in exercise physiology and a master's in kinesiology. And he is a rock star. He has put together a running coach certification. He has run all over the world. And I feel just has so much information. So I am picking his brain specifically today about running for weight loss. And we are friends. Let me give you a little disclaimer first. Jason and I are friends. And so our conversations for the most part are very funny and casual. So this is a very kind of funny, casual conversation. Um, So I kind of am going to jump right into it because before I started with the important stuff, we were just kind of talking about running and recent trips that we had been on and just a couple of different things. So it's kind of funny, actually, because I start asking him questions more geared toward the topic of today. And he kind of goes, are we recording right now? And I'm like, yes, of course. But the previous I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of our conversation was just kind of about life. So he figured I was going to edit it out, which I am. But um, it is kind of funny that we jump into the conversation. Just I want to cut to the chase and not waste your time with the how's the weather, how's your cat kind of deal. So we're just jumping into it. And I start asking him questions. If you have any follow up questions, you can contact Jason. I will put a link in the show notes to his website. It is runfit.com and a link to run your fat off will be on the show notes as well. And that's at runeatrepeat.com. But let's go for it and call Jason. I feel like you are 
the like your Google for running, and we can go in so many different directions. For that's um, a great way. Of, <laughs> I like that. Can I use that? Or oh, I need you to use that. Put, I need I you know, to quote right? me on your social. I just this is the Google for running. <laughs> Um, but specifically today, I want to talk about run your fat off because I think with the new year, a lot of people are making resolutions to get healthy, lose weight, take up running, all of the above potentially, and they want to know how to get started. So is there kind of like a step one to running and weight loss that you think? Uh, well, yeah, if, the step, if there is a step one, the first would be getting your head into it, you know, willing, be willing to make the commitment to do this. You know, a lot of people stop exercising because they don't like it. And so uh, you have to get your mind in it first. You have to decide how important it is to you to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. How do you get your mind into it? Is it setting a specific goal or... Like where yeah, that could be a part of it. Yeah, either whether it, whether it's a a race that somebody wants to train for. Like a lot of people will sign up for a half marathon just to give them a goal, even though the goal really is to lose the weight. But they think, well, let's sign up for a race, and then you have to lose weight to be able to do the race. So it could be either signing up for a race, or it could be a certain number of pounds you want to lose. Something objective that's measurable. That would be a good goal to have. So, yeah, that's one way to do it. And the other way is just to, like the stories in the book, everybody, they just got sick and tired of being fat and out of shape and and sick. They had a lot of illnesses due to being obese, and they just got to a point in their lives where they were fed up already, and they wanted to make a change. Mm -hmm. So they made the decision to make a change, and that directed their behavior. They started going to the gym. They started cleaning up their eating they just made a decision that I'm going to make a change. So first set a smart goal or get sick and tired of it that you just are like, yeah. I'm changing something. Right. Boom. I like it. I'm very big on smart goals. So do you think someone should start with running or eating first in terms of weight loss? Is there kind of... Priority. Well, I mean, they're not mutually. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Obviously, somebody can run and do other forms of exercise at the same time that they focus on their food. But the research shows that initially, the, the bigger impact on your weight is the nutrition, the diet component, and then the long-term effects, keeping the weight off, is more impacted by the daily exercise. So it is easier initially to get people to cut a few hundred calories out of their day than it is for them to go walk or run three or four or five miles a day. Mm-hmm. So the initial strategy would be to see where you can cut calories that don't provide nutrition. And the first place you look to is the drinking because most drinks don't provide any nutrition. So I always recommend people just drink water. Just cut out all the mocha frappuccinos at Starbucks, all the sodas, cut all that stuff out because it's just extra calories that don't provide any nutrition. Okay, but not except tequila, right? Like we got to have, <laughs> come on now. Especially if you're a redheaded Mexican, yeah, come you on have now. to keep the tequila. Yeah, I mean, let's not be ridiculous. 
<laughs> priorities. We've got to keep the priorities in Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how many calories are in tequila, so you might be able to get away with it. It's probably not that many calories. Well, like a shot is about 80 calories. Not that I know. Not that I have seriously found out. <laughs> not that you've ever looked it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are we recording this right now? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> this is they know, they, they know who I am. I'm I'm honest okay. about myself, and that's a, it's priorities. And I mean, it's made from agave. It's a plant. It all works out. There right? you go. Agave. Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. So cut out everything except tequila. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Monica's like advice. How horrible! But yes, I I, I get oh, what yeah. you're saying. Don't drink your calories. Um, unfamiliar. So cut out anything that doesn't give you nutrition in exactly. terms of switching up what you're eating. Right. So like you could have uh, you know green smoothies. Those are healthy, and that mm-hmm. would be drinking, obviously. Mm-hmm. But most of the things that people drink are just wasted calories. Like going to Starbucks and getting those fancy frappuccino drinks. It tastes like a milkshake. It practically is a milkshake without the ice cream. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't contribute to any nutrition. All that's doing is putting more weight uh, in places that you don't want it, like your belly and your ass. Wait. Wait, I don't even want to go here. I was going to say maybe people want more weight on their ass, but that's that's another topic. We'll talk about another day. <laughs> <laughs> it's very in right now with the, with the big butts. But... Okay. Yeah. No belly. It's going to give you a belly. So we try to cut that out. So you're saying step one is kind of switching up your diet, but then is step two incorporating exercise? Right. The first step would be uh, walking. I mean, it's hard for a lot of people to start running if they're overweight and out of shape. And so like I talk about in the book, you know, people always ask me, well, how do I start to run? They get like so intimidated by it. They think it's some you know, big task that requires, you know, many hours of study. And and we all inherently know how to run. But when someone's overweight and out of shape, it's going to be physically difficult. And so the way you start running is first by walking. And maybe you walk for five minutes and start jogging for one minute and then walk for five minutes and jog for one minute. And then over time, as your body adapts, you'll be able to minimize the walking and maximize the running. And before you know it, you're running for 30 minutes without stopping but it's done in stages. First, start walking. Yes. Yes. I, this, that's how I started running. I was just walking. I wasn't even trying to do intervals. I was just walking for so long that I got bored one day and started running. But it was never a, like, I'm going to go run kind of thing. Because I think, too, we think of running as running, like when we were little kids. And you would just, like, go outside and try to run. And you're out of breath by the time you reach the corner. Versus being very slow when you start, you know, and doing those intervals right. kind of help give you some breathing time to kind of get right. in your groove. So do you have um, suggestions for a new runner in terms of run, walk intervals, like how long to do each set? Or is that something someone uh, well, kind of... Yeah, I mean, you can experiment where there's no exact number. I mean, does it matter if you walk for five minutes and run for one minute or walk for 10 minutes and run for two minutes? No. It really just comes down to finding a starting point. So figure out, you know, how much can you run? If you can only run for 60 seconds, then that's your starting point. If you can run for five minutes, then that's your starting point. So just find a starting point and then keep progressing from there. How long should someone do one, like, let's say a five to one before they try to 
increase it to six to one or whatever their next step would be? Uh, they'll know as their body adapts. They'll know how much they can run without stopping, you know, but it depends on how many days per week. You know, obviously, if you can only do it once or twice a week, it'll take longer to adapt and see results than if you do it four or five days a week. So there's many factors that come into play as to how quickly you progress. But but the person will know after two weeks of four days a week of walking for five minutes and running for one minute, you know, they may test themselves and say, okay, I'll try to run for two minutes. And if you can't, you can't. And then you go back to what you were doing before until your body responds and you can do it. Mm-hmm. So there's no specific amount that you have to start with. You just need to find a starting point and then progress from there. How many days a week do you suggest? Well, that depends on the person's commitment and the person's goals. You know, like I tell people all the time, if you want to become great at playing the piano, sure, you can practice just once a week, but it's going to take you years to become great at playing the piano. And so it's the same thing with this. If you want to become better at running and if you want to lose weight and keep the weight off, you need to do it on most, if not all, days of the week. And the research shows that, you know, the people who have lost weight and keep it off, they are exercising every day of the week. It's a part of their lifestyle. Exercising every day of the week, but do you recommend running every day of the week? Well, again, that also depends on your goals. I mean, I run six days a week. I've been doing that for 33 years. So, yeah, for the purposes of weight loss, I would also suggest to mix in other forms of exercise, specifically the strength training, so that you don't lose muscle mass, that you only lose fat when you're losing weight. So strength training is important for people who want to lose weight to preserve lean muscle mass. But running is a great calorie burner. So if people want to get the, the most number of calories burned in the certain amount of time that they have to work out every day, running is perhaps the best way to do that because it burns more calories than anything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, spe- speaking of that, if you want to get more like calorie burn bang for your buck, that's a tongue twister. Is it better to run like long and slow or do speed work, high intensity? What is the best weight loss workout when it comes to running? All of the above. So you need a little bit of everything for different reasons. They all target different aspects of your physiology and and make muscles better fat-burning machines. But in terms of calories, that's really a matter of math. A short, fast workout may or may not burn the same number of calories as a long, slower workout. It all depends on how much oxygen is consumed during the workout because you burn five calories for every liter of oxygen you consume. So there's a lot of factors that determine how many calories you're going to burn in any given workout. It can be done multiple ways, long and slow or short and fast. Mm -hmm. Short and fast will boost your fitness a lot quicker than long and slow. So if people only have 20 minutes to squeeze in a workout, well, then sure, high intensity is the way to go. But ultimately, you need a lot of everything. Is it true that high intensity workouts burn calories, like more calories after you're done working out than a more steady state workout does? Uh, Yes, but you have to be pretty intense. And the workout would have to be pretty intense for you to burn a significant number of calories following the workout. This is something that's highly over-exaggerated in the industry because uh, recovery is an aerobic oxygen-using process. And anytime you do a hard workout or if you do a very long workout, then it requires recovery time. There are processes that have to 
be brought back to homeostasis, like acid-base balance and body temperature and restoring carbohydrate in the muscles. And so all these processes require energy. And so you're going to use calories. You're going to burn fat in the hours after working out. Uh, you know, but it depends on how intense it is. So compared to just a normal 30-minute easy workout, yes, high-intensity workout will burn more calories afterward, but certainly less than what you burn during the workout. What you burn during the workout has a greater impact on the total calorie burn and your weight loss than the calories you burn afterward. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting. Is there a best way, because I know a lot of people want to see how many calories they're burning. And, you know, there's obviously the readout on the treadmill. If you're on a treadmill, it's different if you're just running outside. Is there, you know, a best way to measure that in terms of a heart rate monitor, a special watch, some other tool that people can use that would be the kind of best estimate of how many calories they're burning? Uh, that That is difficult. There are equations that have been have been uh, created to try to estimate, but the only way to know exactly how many calories you burn is to know exactly how much oxygen you're consuming. And even then, it's hard because if you do a high-intensity workout where you're using energy without oxygen, the, the quote, anaerobic side, that's much harder to quantify. You need to be in a laboratory to quantify the calories burned during anaerobic exercise. That's not something that someone's GPS is going to be able to calculate. So it is very difficult to find out exactly how many calories outside of a laboratory environment. But there have been, I mean, you can look online, there are a lot of equations that have been used to estimate the calorie burn of many different activities. And all those equations come from research, you know, comes from laboratory tests. So like we know that, you know, 30 minutes of running at six miles an hour, we know about how many calories that's going to burn. But even that's going to be different from one person to another because heavier people burn more calories to run than lighter people because they're consuming more oxygen to transport that heavier weight. So it's very difficult to find out exactly how many calories, but you can estimate them with all these different equations that have been developed. Mm-hmm. And so is there something that people can do to boost their metabolism then? I know I was reading, there was a part in the book where you were talking about metabolism in general and how running affects metabolism. Yeah, I mean, we can affect our metabolism a lot when we exercise, especially running. I mean, running has a huge expansion ability to, uh, to increase metabolism, but resting metabolic rate can't really be changed. You know, that's been set by millions of years of evolution because your resting metabolic rate represents how much energy you need to stay alive. You know, all your internal organs have jobs to do every day just to maintain life, and those jobs require a certain amount of ATP, a certain amount of energy. And so that's been set. We can't really change that. You know, a lot of people will will say that if you strength train, you increase muscle mass, and that burns more calories. And while that's true, it's negligible compared to the amount of calories you need to lose weight you're only going to burn about six or seven calories per day for every pound of muscle that you have on your body. So to really impact your resting metabolic rate through strength training, you would have to add a lot of muscle mass, which is not so easy to accomplish. You'd have to spend months in the gym lifting very heavy weights with multiple sets and really have a targeted hypertrophy-driven program. 
So it's not really possible for a lot of people to increase how much muscle mass they have on their body. Mm-hmm. And and even if they did, yeah, say that again. So how many more calories per pound of muscle does someone burn then? Each pound of muscle burns about six or seven calories per day. Very interesting. Yes, because that I think is one of those things that is very hyped, like people saying muscle is more than fat, or if you're trying to lose weight and you're building muscle and they say, you know, well, um, if you have a setback or a stall in weight loss, like, oh, maybe it's because I'm gaining muscle or muscle, you know, burns more calories than fat kind of thing. These things all kind of get jumbled together in this, you know, in the media in terms of weight loss. And it is to just hear those numbers and understand, put it in perspective. It's super, super interesting. The people who can have the greatest impact on changing their metabolic rate are senior citizens, because as we age, we lose a lot of muscle mass over the years. Actually, starting from age about 35 to 40, we start losing muscle mass. So a senior citizen if they strength train, then they can increase their metabolic rate because they can help replace the muscle that's been lost for over the years. But if you take, you know, a 25 year old, they're not going to be able to change their metabolic rate because they're not going to be able to drastically change how much muscle mass they have. Mm-hmm. So seniors have the greatest ability to alter their metabolic rate because it will be lower as they get older, just simply due to the loss of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And so if nothing else, someone in that situation would be kind of trying to keep their muscle mass up and so that they're maintaining their metabolism instead of letting it slow down. Right. Also because of functional reasons. I mean, look at how many seniors have trouble getting out of a chair Mm -hmm. because they lose muscle power. And so if they can increase their muscle mass and gain more power, just their activities of daily living are all going to be improved. So for functional reasons, it's important for seniors to strength train. Mm-hmm. What do you think about fasted cardio? Uh, the research doesn't support that it's any better or any worse than non-fasted cardio. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to how many calories you burn during exercise, not whether those calories come from fat or carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. You're always exercising first thing in the morning when blood glucose is low, then it's going to limit your ability to do high-intensity exercise because high-intensity requires carbohydrate for fuel. Mm -hmm. So the the workout certainly will suffer if you're not, you know, not don't have enough of a supply of carbohydrate. But you know, I mean, if you go, if you plan on doing a long, slow workout and a long, slow run first thing in the morning, it's perfectly fine to do it without eating first. But it's not any better strategy than having eaten beforehand. Mm -hmm. That's another one that I feel like is um, very pushed as being a secret to kind of lose weight. Yeah, because the the argument is that, well, if you don't have carbohydrate available, which, you know, you're not going to be completely carbohydrate depleted first thing in the morning. I mean, there's still some carbohydrate available, but blood glucose will be lower first thing in the morning because you probably haven't eaten for 10 or 12 hours. So yeah, the argument is that if you work out first thing in the morning before breakfast, if carbohydrates not available, then your muscles are forced to rely on fat. Yes, that's true, but you don't need to use fat during exercise to lose fat from your waistline. What matters is the total number of calories that you burn during the workout, not whether those calories come from carbohydrate or fat. Mm -hmm. And so if you exercise on an empty stomach, 
the intensity of exercise will decrease necessarily because you won't have as much carbohydrate available. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I would kind of assume that you wouldn't suggest that for someone that is trying to train for something. And right. right. Yeah. If you, if the goal is like, if you're going to do an interval workout first thing in the morning, yeah, you need carbohydrate. Otherwise the workout's going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like, it depends on what your goals are. I feel like you keep saying that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it does. If you're looking for performance, well, you need carbohydrate for performance. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for weight loss, then, well, there's many ways to attack that. It's just about, about the total number of calories. Mm-hmm. And that can come from long and slow or short and fast. can come a variety of ways. I love it. And I know you interviewed a lot of people for the book um, Success Stories. You know, people that had lost weight and overcome different setbacks and health issues. Is there any kind of common denominator that they have or secret that it seems like all of these people did this thing that helped them lose weight or stick with it? Anything like that? Uh, Yeah, there's two. One is that they all made the commitment. Like I said before, they all got sick and tired of being overweight and the health problems that they were having because of that. And they made the commitment to make a change in their life. And then the second is that they all said that it was the hardest thing that they've ever done. That losing the weight, getting it to stay off, was the single most difficult thing that they've ever done. Mm-hmm. But they all said that you can do it as long as you recognize that it's going to be difficult and you got to make the commitment to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the, the stories are amazing. They all became marathoners and triathletes and ultra marathoners, and they never set out to do that. They just wanted to run to lose weight. But because running is, is so, uh, you get so caught up in the lifestyle of it and the community of it, that it became a part of their lifestyle. And they didn't set out to lose, the other common factor is that they didn't set out to lose weight. They set out to change their lives. And that's a, a big, uh, different way of looking at it. They decided to change their lifestyle, not so much to lose weight. And so that's what directed their behavior and directed their effort was that they said they wanted to make a change to their life. Mm -hmm. I agree with that because I feel like if you are just worried about weight loss, you're kind of just preoccupied with the scale and you ignore how you feel. And if like, you know, you start feeling better because you're eating healthier and you're exercising you feel great and you don't pay attention to that. If all you care about is whether or not the scale is moving, you know, I just think there's a lot to be said for just thinking about it. Big picture, like your health and how you feel. Right. Exactly. I dig it. And so do you think too, it is at least for the people that you talk to, because this isn't for running, isn't for everybody that they kind of fell in love with running. Yeah, they did. They were not runners at the start of it. Mm-hmm. None of them were. They just started walking on a treadmill and and started to run. And they just they became runners because they got caught up in it all. They saw that running was a path to change their lives, not just their waistlines. Mm-hmm. I like that because, too, it's not that people that run, it's easier for them than anyone else, especially someone that is kind of starting from being unhealthy or inactive, but if you are patient with it and do something like, you know, or or patient with yourself, I guess you can really 
enjoy it. Like it's supposed to be fun. This is, you know, this, it's fun. It's a, it's a hobby for most people and it should be, you think of hobbies as being something fun. And this one also makes you healthy. All right. Exactly. Now I, in addition to, there's two different, um, what I think of as menus in, in the book. There are actual training menus in the Run Your Fat Off book that kind of break down how much running to do or kind of give you ideas of workouts for the week. And then there's also um, menu, food menus, right? Right. I created the the training program just like a menu so that uh, on each day of the week, people can choose which workout they want. So it reads just like a food menu reads. And so people can go through the program at their own pace. It's not week by week. There's not a certain number of weeks in each phase. The phase ends when the person is ready to move on to the next phase. Mm-hmm. So the program can last in, in an indefinite amount of time. Do you like the idea of people keeping any sort of like training log or diary to track their progress? Or how does someone kind of yeah. track that? Yeah, it's all it's always a good idea to write things down to track your progress. It makes things more objective, and then you can see, you know, where you start and where you you end up. And yeah, it's, it just makes things a whole lot easier to get results if you track your progress, track your your food intake, all of that. Mm-hmm. I like it. What is your favorite recipe from the book? That's uh, a good question. I mean, they're all really good. I've always been a fan of tuna melts, so I like the tuna melt. And <laughs> <laughs> did you come up with all these recipes, or where are these from? Uh, actually, I brought in a nutritionist. I know a great nutritionist in New York who uh, created the the actual recipes. Is so there... I collaborated with her on that, and uh, she also has a nutrition program where she comes up with the, the macronutrients, the carb, the percent carbohydrates, fat, protein, and the other micronutrients that are highlighted in each item. So uh, she was able to put that together. Mm-hmm. Do you have, um, actually, is that in the book in terms of what the macro breakdown should be for? Yeah. yeah. For each meal, it shows the total calories and it shows the breakdown of carbohydrate, fat, protein, and then it also highlights some other significant micronutrient in that meal, whether it's iron or folate or, or vitamin A or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Do you have a suggestion in general for someone what they should be shooting for in terms of macros each day? Well, that is another thing. The research uh, is pretty clear on this, but it gets jumbled in a popular culture that the uh, it doesn't really matter so much the percentage carbohydrate, protein, fat. What matters more is the total number of calories. Mm-hmm. Having said that, the low-carb diets do seem to work, at least initially in the short term. So you don't want a very low-carb diet because that's not sustainable, and eventually the weight's going to come back when you start eating more carbohydrate. So a modest for weight loss, a modest carbohydrate composition of the diet is beneficial. So in the book, if I remember correctly, I think it's around 35 to 45% carbohydrate. 
So less than what normal, what most people normally eat in our society and less than what somebody who's training for running performance will eat. Like if you're training for a marathon, you're going to have to have more than 35 to 45% carbohydrate with all the running that you're doing. Mm-hmm. But for weight loss, a modified, you know, a moderate amount of carbohydrate can be beneficial. So you still get, so it's lower in carbohydrate to satisfy the weight loss, but still high enough that you can get through all the workouts. But you're not, it's not like a super low carbohydrate. Yeah, it's modest. It's 35 to 45% versus, you know, these low carb diets. Some of them, you know, like these ketogenic diets take you down to a very, very, they're like single digit percent. And that's dangerous to be that low. Mm -hmm. You can't sustain that for a long period of time. Yeah. And I think that is really interesting. When we were talking the other day and I asked you about the intermittent fasting, um, just the idea that that's yes, but it's sustainability has a lot, you know, to be said for it. You're going to gain the weight back. You know, is this something you can do for the rest of your life? Do you want to keep battling this? Do you want to keep playing this game? Because if not, right. you know, it's like fi- figure out what you can do long term. Right, exactly. It has to, and that's really the trick to sustainable weight loss is that the strategy that you choose has to be sustainable. And that's why all these diets don't work because they're not a sustainable strategy. Telling people to cut sugar out of their diet, well, that's not sustainable. How are you going to go the next 30 years of your life cutting sugar out of your diet? You have to come up with something that is sustainable for the next 30 or 40 or 50 years of your life. That's one of the reasons why running is so effective because it's sustainable. It becomes a part of your life. People don't just start running to lose weight and then they stop. They get caught up in it and then they become runners and then they do it for the rest of their lives. And that's the key to keeping the weight off. The research is very clear on that, that people who stop exercising gain weight. And so how much weight is on your body is directly proportional to the amount of exercise you do. The more people exercise, the more weight they lose and they keep the weight off. And the more people cut back on how much exercise they do, the more weight they put on. Amen. You're speaking to the choir right here. That is, I mean, it's definitely what happened with me where I just started running. It was like, I mean, it changed my life. I haven't looked, I'm like Forrest Gump. I just felt like running and I just am still going. (laughs) That's good. Do it the rest of your life. Ideally. I just want to run across the country. (laughs) All at once. Yes, I actually really do. Uh, it's a great, it's a great goal. Is it? You need a caravan of people to help you. You can't do that by yourself, though. Awesome. You need a support crew. Haven't people done it by themselves? I don't think anyone's done that by themselves. They usually have like a, a trailer following them because you need clothes, you need food. Oh, you, need- you know what? Hello. This is oh my gosh! I hate I hate that I'm actually even saying this right now because if I figure it out, then I have to do it. But um, my mom is a teacher and she has the summers off. She could be my caravan. Hello, that's well, a mother for chasing you across the mother country. and daughter across the country. Oh, I gotta that could be it. great publicity for you. Come on, Paula, let's do this. All right, I you could put you could put corporate sponsors on the caravan <laughs> driving down. The highway across America. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. My mom, I'm going to tell her this right now, and she's going to be like, oh, Monica, get it together. 
but she'll say yes also. She shouldn't that, think I'm too crazy. Sounds like a great idea on the surface, but uh, <laughs> it's it's difficult. It's going to be if you do that, it'll be the most difficult physical thing you've ever done. Hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll learn a lot about yourself. I know. So maybe stuff I don't want to know. That's why I've been putting That's it true. off. <laughs> Oh, running is supposed to be therapy, right? We'll figure it out. It Maybe is. I'll come back like so, yeah. so wise. I'll figure it all out in one run. I just went for a run, <laughs> figured it all out. I wish it were that easy. Yeah, me too. Is there anything else you want to add about run your fat off? Just uh, not to be intimidated. But a lot of people get intimidated by running. But it's it's really something that we all inherently know how to do. We all do it as toddlers without ever being taught how to do it. And it's, a, a, like I said before, it doesn't just change your waistline. It changes your life. So even if you can't do a lot of it at first, just start with mixing walking and running, and eventually you'll be able to run more. And it really is the best way to keep the weight off. And it's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's so many different varieties of workouts that you can do in so many different places anywhere in the world. You can step outside the front door of the hotel and go run. Mm-hmm. It's been my way to explore the world. Every, every single place I've gone in the world, that's my way to explore. It's my way to get a feel for the place I am is to run. Yeah. And you're committed because you ran in Iceland. Yes, I did. A few weeks ago, I ran in Iceland. It was freezing cold, but it was great. Snow on the ground. It's awesome. I can't I can't imagine. Even though if I went to Iceland, I would definitely run outside. I would have to. I, I run everywhere I travel, too, even if it's cold or a million degrees. I ran in Palm Springs in August, and I would run there you in go. Iceland. And I would rather run in Palm Springs in the hottest day of the year than in Iceland at the hottest day of the year, it would probably be cold for me. <laughs> no, Iceland doesn't, it's not cold all year round. The summer in Iceland is like 60 degrees. Mm. Okay. It's actually beautiful there in the summer. 60 degrees I could do. 49 yeah, and, and I start to be uncomfortable. That's because you're from Southern California. Mm-hmm. That's how I do. Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. I will put a link in the show notes to Jason's book, Run Your Fat Off, as well as a couple of his other books and how to contact him. Definitely reach out if you have any questions or just show him some love and let him know that you heard him on this podcast. And in addition to the website and books, Jason has a running coach certification. It is called the Revolution Running Certification, and it is a very high level running education program for fitness professionals, people who love running. Um, It teaches you how to train runners, how to put together training programs, how to teach a treadmill class. There is so much to it. It's really awesome. And he is offering Running Repeat listeners and followers a discount code if you wanted to do this certification. The discount is Run, Eat, Repeat. I'm pretty sure it's all caps. And I will put all of this information in the show notes so you can check it out there. But again, this is the Revolution Running Certification and use discount code Run, Eat, Repeat for or a discount on that. Now it's time for the awards. Today's awards are just 
a compilation of my favorite things going on right now. I actually have a post from the other day up that is other stuff, like my favorite things from the year, because they're not just running things, just kind of random technology and gadgets and things that I use every day that have changed my life. And one of my favorite things right now is my heating blanket, which is so simple, but I think it makes a very big difference. What I do, here's the trick, is I put it, it's on my bed and I turn it on before I actually crawl into bed. So I will, you know, figure I'm going to bed in a little bit, 15 minutes, I don't know, um, maybe even longer than that. It kind of depends. And I will turn it on. And when I get into bed, it is like a dream. It is like crawling into an angel's armpit that smells like happiness and lavender and vanilla. I don't know. Um, I also related. So I have a one of those aromatherapy things that I put with lavender sometimes. So that's why it smells like that. But it is the most random kind of metaphor or picture that I'm trying to paint, but it is the coziest little happy situation to go to bed. Love that. When I get into bed, though, I turn it off so that I am not worried about it catching fire or getting too hot, anything like that. I have a heating pad fire story that we will talk about another day. Second place goes to Tom's shoes, which I have been wearing for a really long time. I super love them. When they're at Costco specifically, they are super cheap and awesome. Um, But I wear them all the time because I don't have slippers. And I don't know. I just am obsessed with them. And I don't know. I just like wore my first pair out, my second pair. I've worn two pairs out now and I'm on my third pair. And just realizing because I wear them all the time that... I don't know if I've really ever raved about them. So I wanted to do that because I love it. I feel like they're slippers you can wear at your house and out and everywhere else. So digging those. And third place goes to Trader Joe's Pumpkin Butter. I don't know if I mentioned this on the blog or just on Instagram, but around Thanksgiving, went to Trader Joe's, saw that they had pumpkin butter and they also had like apple jam, apple cider jam or something. And I was like, oh, apple cider jam. I'm going to try that. I'll come back for the pumpkin butter as it gets closer to Christmas. I didn't want to buy both at the same time because I would just open both and eat both basically with the spoon on toast with ice cream, just randomly. I don't even know. So I was trying to practice moderation, which is very difficult for me. I only bought one of them. When I went back to Trader Joe's to fulfill my pumpkin butter dreams, they were out. Then I went to another Trader Joe's and they said, no, we're out. And I said, okay, are you going to get more? And I was informed, yeah, they'll get more next year, next season when it comes back. All of the Trader Joe's had sold out in my area. I was super devastated. And I was actually with a friend when uh, on my second Trader Joe's trip. And I'm like, what is going on? And I guess I was dramatic and heartbroken enough that my friend tracked down some Trader Joe's pumpkin butter. And yesterday I got a deliver in the mail, two jars of Trader Joe's pumpkin butter. And it just 
was such a fun surprise and so thoughtful and made me so excited. Like I am, I'm super, super excited about this. So boom, yay for that. Those are some awesome awards. Make me very happy. But thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please subscribe to the show. And if you have some time, leave a rating in your podcast app. It is very helpful for me to get other ears on the RER podcast. And if you have any questions for me, you can always call the podcast voicemail line and leave a message, or you can email me at runerepeat at gmail.com and just put podcast question in the subject line. I will talk to you soon. Have a great run. Thank you for listening to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. For more information, check out runeatrepeat.com. Thank you.